0: Uh, This morning, we are going to be continuing through our study in the Gospel of John, and uh, we're still in John 13. You know, in Hebrews 12, it says, "'Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith.'" And right there, in the midst of calling us to run with endurance and to lay aside the clinging weight of sin that threatens our liberty of movement in the Spirit, the author of Hebrews tells us to look to Jesus. And that's what we have been doing throughout this study of John's gospel. Every week, we've been coming to the Bible like the Greeks who came to Philip in John chapter 12. Remember, the Greeks came to Philip and they said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And last week, we spent some time thinking deeply about Judas, the counterfeit disciple who would betray Jesus. And the big takeaway from studying the life of Judas was that it is so critically important that we see Jesus correctly. The real Jesus, as we find him in the Bible, and not a version of Jesus that serves our own fallen longings. And as we move through this portion of John's gospel, we see plenty of evidence that Jesus remains kind of blurry and out of focus to his disciples. They don't really see him clearly yet. And for me, this is demonstrated most poignantly by the way that Jesus' statements are over and over again met with question marks from his disciples. For example, in verse 25, Lord, who? In verse 36, Lord, where? Verse 37, Lord, why? And in the next chapter, chapter 14, verse 5, Lord, how? Who? Where? Why? How? This is the language of blurriness and not focused clarity. And by the way, making that observation is not a criticism of those men. In fact, it's a compliment Anyone who has questions about Jesus should ask them. Last week we saw the peril of a man who was following an imagined Jesus and where it took him. And so sometimes I think a person's pride keeps them from asking questions for fear that it will expose their ignorance or maybe for fear that they won't like the answer. And it's especially true when maybe a person has the impression that others in the room are further along than us in their understanding of Christ and the gospel and Christianity. And so they might just sit on their questions rather than speak them out loud in a way that would expose, they think, a shameful lack of understanding. So I take it as a mark that these guys possessed some measure of humility. Maybe they understood something about the stakes surrounding Jesus, and they wanted to know, they wanted to understand, so they asked questions. And that's right, that's reasonable, that's appropriate. They answer Jesus' statements by asking who, where, why, how. And again, as Judas kindly showed us last week, seeing Jesus correctly is important enough to risk asking questions when the things Jesus is saying and doing confuse us. However, this morning we want to focus in not on Judas, but on Jesus's exchanges with Peter, specifically and most pointedly his exchanges with Peter in verses 36 through 38. As we move through John 13, it becomes evident that Jesus is not only trying to make his disciples see him clearly, but he is trying to make his disciples see themselves more clearly as well. These guys are definitely confused about Jesus, but they also don't yet understand themselves very well. They are viewing all things, including Jesus, through the broken prism of self. This truth is going to be illustrated most vividly in two exchanges that Jesus has with Peter in John 13. In both Exchanges demonstrate again that truth that Jesus communicated to Nicodemus way back in chapter 3. That unless a person is born again, they cannot see Jesus clearly at all. Peter cannot see himself correctly until he has come to see Jesus truly, but the broken prism of self through which Peter is filtering Jesus is often precisely what keeps him from seeing Jesus clearly. Here I'm speaking in kind of a circular, frustrating way, but that's what this is like. He can't see himself clearly because he doesn't see Jesus clearly, and he can't see Jesus clearly because he's viewing all things through his broken prism of himself. And he's just going around in this circular, impossible, frustrating chasing of his tail He can never arrive unless God breaks through the fog and the confusion in his mind, opens the eyes of his heart to see Jesus clearly and thereby to more accurately understand himself. But he is a man who is staggering around wildly confused in (laughs) chapter 13. Uh, Peter is one of those guys in the Bible. Lots of people love Peter because he's just so stinking human, you know. He's a guy who always gets it right the third time. And he's just kind of always, he's speaking before he's thought, he's kind of just shooting from the hip all the time, and people are like, I like that guy, because we see ourselves in Peter very often, don't we? He's just a very honest person. And the thing I love most about this is that a lot of the Gospels were probably based on Peter's own testimony, In other words, Peter is probably the one who sat down with Mark to tell him what went into his gospel. He was definitely part of Luke's efforts to form the gospel. And so one of the things I take away from that is that Peter, when he's recounting these things later, didn't clean them up. He said, this is how it was. I was confused. I was staggering around. And I really like that about Peter. So he staggers around, stumbling from one blundering statement to another. He's like a speeding car at night that is outrunning its headlights. Peter's passions are constantly leading him out beyond what he sees and knows. When a person becomes a Christian, something happens to them in a final, once for all kind of way. And something else is begun as a process in their life. First, they become justified. Justification is that work of God's grace whereby sinners through their faith union with Jesus are counted as righteous before God on the grounds of Jesus' obedience and death. Justification is not a process. No one becomes more justified over time. It is a once-for-all transaction in which a person's sins are conferred onto Christ and the perfect righteousness and reward of Jesus is conferred onto the sinner. To be justified is to be declared not guilty. And of course, this can be neither obtained or maintained through human striving or good works. It is just simply a gift. So that's the first thing that happens to somebody when they become a Christian. They're just declared in a once for all final act, not guilty. There's no process. You don't over time become more right with God. You just are declared right with God and it's done. But at the same time, something else has begun that absolutely is a process and that's called sanctification. And unlike justification, sanctification is a process by which the Holy Spirit conforms a person more and more into the likeness of Jesus over time. Sanctification, this process by which our inner world is transformed and by which the things we treasure and strive after changes. The way our outward lives begin to change is an expression of a new inner reality. This process by which we become, over time, more and more like Jesus is the proof and product of a person having been justified. But it is something separate. It is sanctification. And much of sanctification, much of the process by which we grow in Christ, involves growing in our ability to see Jesus, ourselves, and others more clearly. That might not be all of it, but that is certainly going to be an important part of what that looks like. I think this is possibly what was being illustrated in Mark 8, when Jesus healed a blind man. It says this, And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? Do you see? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. When we become Christians... We don't at first, all of a sudden, see everything clearly. We have been justified, so we're okay with God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are justified, not guilty. All of your sins were laid on Jesus, and you have his reward in your pocket. But we are just at the front end of being sanctified, There is much we do not yet understand about Jesus and about ourselves, but as the Holy Spirit works in concert with the Word of God to sanctify a believer, things will, over time and by degrees, come into clearer and clearer focus. And throughout John 13, the blurry vision of Peter is highlighted. The first exchange between Jesus and Peter that John describes for us in chapter 13 is, is during that memorable moment when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. It says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, why do you, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said to him, again, wildly careening, (laughs) drunkenly from side to side, Lord, do not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now we could spend a lot of time in these verses analyzing all the ways that this exchange illustrates how Peter does not yet see himself or his Lord very clearly. The eyes of his heart have opened to see the blurry outline of how excellent and soul-satisfying Jesus is. But they have not yet opened enough to see with clarity the nature of true biblical greatness or servant leadership. He does not yet see the depths of his own need or how stubborn and unscrubbed is the stain on his heart. Or how the stain is in a spot that he can't quite reach himself. He needs another. Jesus points out the blurry vision of Peter. He says, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will. I'm bringing you along, Peter. You're in process. Someday you will see and understand all this, but you are not there today. The second exchange takes place at the end of the chapter, verses 36 through 38. Jesus had said something in verse 33, just a few verses earlier, that evidently arrested Peter's attention. Jesus makes this statement, and then he moves on to some other teachings, but Peter's mind is locked with laser-like focus on this statement that Jesus had made because it troubles him. Jesus said, Little children... Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, just as I said to the Jews. So now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And then Jesus moves on, but Peter is stuck. Peter is still hanging on those words. I'm going away, you can't come with me. And Peter is like, I do not like that at all. So in verse 36, he, an- he anxiously says, let's double back to that thing you said, Jesus. We need to talk about that. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Once again, this exchange illustrates the sincere, true hearted, but blurry vision of Peter. He doesn't yet see why it is better that Jesus would go away. He speaks of his willingness to die for Jesus, but does not yet fully grasp that what is needed is for Jesus to die for him. If you look at it that way, this is an incredible exchange. Peter's like, I will die for you, while Jesus is talking about his going to die for Peter. He does not understand these things yet, I don't believe. He has not yet come to see that Jesus was calling him to come and die and not go and kill. He is full of bluster, self-confidence, and even hubris and is not yet aware of how strong a grip fear has on his heart. So his speeding mouth outruns his headlights again and his ego crashes against the reality of what Jesus says next. Will you lay down your life for me, Peter? You think you have a good grip on who you are? Truly, truly, I'm going to tell you this. The rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter, before the night is over, you will, to save your own skin, abandon me and cut me loose, denying that you even know me. Of course, what Jesus said to Peter would prove true, and we can read all about it in chapter 18. First, Peter would try and make good on his intention to go down swinging in defense of his Lord. When the goons are sent to arrest Jesus, they come into the garden with Judas leading the way. We are told that Peter drew his sword and tried very sincerely and with no half measures to cut a man's head neatly down the middle. He's not messing around. This is Peter as he imagined himself. This is Peter as the man he dreamed of being while hauling in his fishing nets. But the man whose head he had tried to have like a melon, his name is recorded by John as Malchus, a servant of the high priest, he sees the blow coming. He tries to dodge out of the way. Instead of coming, biting right down into the brain, the sword glances along the bony dome of the man's skull and separates his ear from the rest of him. And I wish right there we could just pause the scene in a still photo. (laughs) I really wish we could see this moment in a still photo. The sword, the ear flying off. What were the expressions on people's faces? I wish I could see what the expression was on Jesus' face. Who was he looking at? It would be so fascinating to see that. In a parallel account in Luke's gospel, we are told that Jesus touched the ear of Malchus and restored it. John tells us that Jesus told Peter to put his sword away and then added, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Peter, you are racing out beyond your headlights again in wildly inappropriate fashion. You don't yet understand what's happening here. You don't understand the necessity of my arrest. You don't understand, as perverse as it may sound, that Malchus is serving the great purposes of God. That's a strange statement, but it's true. Of course, then, as they arrested Jesus... All his disciples, including Peter, whose courage now melts away like mist before the sun, abandons him and runs away, every man for himself, except for Jesus, who stood pat for all of them. Then, as you probably know, Peter followed covertly to see what would become of Jesus. But he is repeatedly identified as one of Jesus' disciples, and ironically, For this man of such great bravado, the sword swinger, the guy who says, I'll die for you, Jesus. It was a little, it was a servant girl identifying him that caused him. It was, he was bullied by a child into denying Jesus. Luke 22 records for us this lowest moment of Peter's life. After denying Jesus twice, But Peter said, at this time he's talking to a man, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He's starting to see himself more clearly. He's not God's gift to Jesus. Jesus is a much-needed gift to him because he is hopelessly lost in his sin. He's not a good man or a great man as he had hoped. When Jesus said, you, one of you is going to betray me, Peter is speaking. He said, Jesus, I am rock solid. You don't have to worry about me. I'm the good one. <laughs> the rest of these guys, they're, they're the... They're the JV squad, okay? I'm I'm the guy. You can can trust me. He's so full of self-confidence, self-dependence, but he is not yet at a place of complete dependence on Jesus, and he needs to get there. He needs to be shown, this is where you are. It's like the illustration I always use. If you go to the mall and you're looking for the shoe store, you go into the mall, there's the big map. You don't look for where the shoe store is. You look for the you are here arrow so you can orient yourself on the map and then begin to find your place to where you want to go. Peter has not yet found himself on the map. He does not yet see the depths of his own sin. He does not yet see his complete lack of resources to make it home to God on his own. He thinks I will lay down my life for you. I'm the good one. Jesus, you need me. I'll go with you. He does not yet see his complete need and dependence on Jesus. Now, aren't you glad that Peter's story does not end here, with him weeping bitterly after this failure? Aren't you glad that your story doesn't end with your last failure? And aren't you glad that this story we are living in is not really our story at all, but Jesus' story? He is the main character of all of history and all of the days yet to come. And we are not even even supporting caste. After all, who can claim to be a support to the Almighty? In truth, we are all supported caste. And the most joyous thing about the realization that we are living in Jesus' story is that his story has no end. You're living in a story that never ends, my friends. Judas's story is a sad sort of story, not only because it does not have a happy ending, but also because it has an ending. Judas' story has a final chapter. But if you have put your trust in Jesus for salvation, then your story is lost and wrapped up in the eternal unending and unfading story of God. Eternity yawns out in front of you even now in all its delight and excitement and untainted by sin and with your own eyes you will see with perfectly perfect clarity God at the center of it all that awaits God has brought us along to this lowest moment in Peter's life precisely so that we could look up and be encouraged and helped and filled with hope as we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of Peter's faith and our faith too. I'm going to close out our time this morning by giving you a few things from this story that provide us with reason for hope and encouragement as we look at the story of Peter. The first is this, Jesus interceded for Peter. Now, again, in a parallel account, John doesn't include these details, but Luke, probably because he interviewed Peter, does include this this little bit. In Luke 22, verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This is an incredibly hopeful thing that Jesus says to Peter. Please note, Jesus does not pray that Peter would evade the test, but that his faith would not fail in the testing. Some of you feel that right now you are going through some difficult things. Or maybe you feel that you're on the front end. You're about to go through some things. And it is a hopeful and encouraging thought to know that Jesus, just as he interceded in prayer to the Father on behalf of Peter, he lives to make intercession for you as well. In Hebrews 7, we read these words. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. When Satan asked that he could have Peter and sift him like wheat, Jesus interceded. He prayed that his faith would not fail. And some of you are going through it, and I want you to know that your priest in heaven, Jesus, is a permanent priest. He never goes away, his service never ends, and he lives even now to make intercession for you. Jesus, Peter's ultimate success was owing to Jesus' intercession for him. And we see how Jesus' prayers were answered, that although Peter fell and sinned grievously, that ultimately his faith did not fail. And that is very important and helpful to see here. Another reason for hope and encouragement is that when Jesus purchased Peter with his blood, he knew he was buying a fixer-upper. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think we always have this impression, you know, when you, when you sin, Jesus is not surprised. He's not like, oh, you're not who I thought you were. That, that's never true to how he is. He is an all-knowing God after all. And when he died for you, when he called you to himself, he knew everything. He saw you perfectly when you did not yet understand the depths of your own betrayal that was coming. When Jesus says this to Peter, you're going to deny me three times, we need to keep in mind the other things that he's also already said. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Not if you turn again, if you make it, but when you do. He said to him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. You will. Not I hope, but you will. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, it says, You are not your, your own, you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. You were bought. And I want you to know something that when Jesus bought you, he knew what he was buying. He knew that he was buying a fixer upper, <laughs> he knew he was buying a house that had termites in the walls and would been, was built catastrophically wrong. <laughs> Somebody didn't know what they were doing, built you and you are fallen and broken, and everything is, you know, things are not quite right. You're a fixer-upper, and he's gone to work through the Holy Spirit. But when you sin, when you fall, he's not casting you off. Peter is not cast off. That is not what's happening here. We can rest in the keeping power of Jesus who prayed, While I was with them, I kept them in your name. This is from John 17. Which you have given me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Do you believe that Jesus is a shepherd? I know we all do. But very often, in our hearts, we question his abilities as a shepherd. We think, I've sinned, I've wandered off, I've broken the shepherd's rules, and now I'm lost to him. I've strayed off into a place where he will just say, let the wolves have you. (laughs) And I don't think that's true to the nature of our shepherd God. In those moments, we are questioning his abilities as a shepherd to keep his flock, to keep you. Now, hear me out in this. The evidence of holiness and God's power unto godliness in a Christian's life is not that you are perfect, but that you are striving and fighting against the strong downward pull of your own sin, of the old man, your old sin nature. Rest in the knowledge. I think Jesus wants us, when we look at the life of Peter, as we see him tell him, you're going to deny me. You're going to sin grievously, horribly. But you will follow me afterwards. And when you turn, strengthen your brothers. Don't ever forget the fact. Don't, you need to rest in the knowledge that Jesus bought you knowing you were a fixer-upper. That it's all forgiven. You need to understand the depths of his grace. But we also need to cooperate with all our heart and mind in God's efforts to demo and remodel our inner world. There is evidence that Peter continued to struggle with a habit sin of being dominated by fear and denying people all the way up into Galatians. There's this famous moment in the book of Galatians where Peter, who has been eating and worshiping with the Galatian Christians who are not Jews, they're not eating kosher foods, but he's been eating with them. And all of a sudden, a delegation comes from Jerusalem, from the circumcision party, which sounds like the most unfun party ever. And they gather there, and it says that Peter is afraid of them, so he denied any association with the Galatian Christians. He he said, I ah, he stopped eating with them. He stopped meeting with them as long as those guys were in town. And do you know what he's doing? For fear, he's denying them. Really, he's denying Christ in them. He's denying Christ a fourth time in Galatians. This is a habit sin in his life. This is something he will continue to struggle with and wrestle with, and that God will continue to confront him over. And he will, by degrees, grow in his understanding and awareness of these things. But the hopeful and encouraging thing to see, if you are locked into patterns of sin, you are struggling, you are fighting, take hope when you look at the life of Peter, because you are not cast away. God's grace covers that. Again, The evidence of holiness and God's power unto godliness in your life as a follower of Jesus is not that you are without sin, but that you are honestly striving and fighting against those sins in your lives. We see Peter continuing to go back and struggle with these things, but ultimately, through the process of sanctification, he is brought along to a place where he does put those things to death and openly proclaims, that he is no longer afraid and he will represent Jesus more faithfully. Here's something else to see. A third thing. I think I have four here. Yep, four and then we're done. People are like, come on, Josh. (laughs) Another one is this. Jesus never denied himself. Peter would deny Jesus three times And the first time when I wrote this out in my sermon, I wrote down, Jesus never denied Peter. Peter denied him three times. He never denied Peter. He went to the cross. He wore Peter on the cross. He never denied Peter. That's how I originally wrote it. But then I I stumbled upon this verse, 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. Peter is utterly faithless on the night when Jesus was betrayed. And Jesus is the very picture of faithful constancy. And that he stands pat for Peter. Peter is not even threatened with arrest or punishment, but he denies any association with Jesus because he's afraid it might go to that point. Jesus is sitting with the perfect knowledge that he is going to go to the cross the next day and die an excruciatingly painful and public death on Peter's behalf. He stands pat. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. In our prayers, in our thinking, We should not think that Jesus stayed true to Peter because Peter was great. (laughs) Jesus stayed true to Peter because of who he is. Jesus is faithful and constant in his love, in his grace towards you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His mercies are new every morning. Why? Because of who he is. That is an unshifting, unchanging, immutable rock on which you can base your life. We're fickle. We're up. We're down. We're all around. We're always changing. But Jesus is a constant rock. He cannot deny himself. And so we are not denied because we are in him. That is a wonderful hope. For, that is a wonderful reason for hope and encouragement that we see in the life of Peter. That although Peter denied him, and we deny him over and over and over again in our preference for sin, in those moments when we stumble, when we betray him with our choices, how wonderful is it that in those moments he never denies himself. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. Oh, that's a wonderful thought. And the last one, the last reason for hope and encouragement that we see in the life of Peter is this. God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Even as Jesus, Jesus tells Peter of his failings, he is commissioning him and calling him to be a leader among God's people. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I, uh, very often when people come to me and they're in the middle of something really, really ugly and difficult. Uh, one of the pieces I like to give it to people when they're in that place is I really would ask you kind of selfishly that you would journal in this time. Write down what God is saying to you and what's happening so that when you come out on the other end of it, you can share with me and others what God did in the midst of this season. I think it's a very helpful thing that Jesus does for Peter here even as he's contemplating the fact that he's about to fail, that he's about to weep bitterly. He's about to go through a very dark valley Jesus tells him, when you come out on the other side of this, please minister to your brothers in a way that wisely reflects on what you've been through. Strengthen your brothers. Sometimes those who are closest to the recollection of their sins and faults are the ones who can best of all help and strengthen their brethren. Consider these words in 1 Peter. This is Peter writing now. This is Peter who denied Christ who is governed by fear and who lopped off Malchus's ear. This is him writing. He says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect? You cut off Malchus' ear. (laughs) Don't fear them. You were bullied by a servant girl into denying your Lord. Don't deny, set apart Jesus in your hearts as Lord and always be prepared to give a defense. You just denied you even knew him. Well, of course, none of these things are the mark of a hypocrite. This is a man who has been brought along through a process called sanctification. And having done those things has now turned and is strengthening his brothers in obedience to the commands of his Lord. He is, his perspective is hard won, and he's sharing it. And I'll just close with this. I won't provide much comment, but this is the very end of this chapter in Peter's story. Peter's story, like ours, doesn't end because it's wrapped up with Jesus, and Jesus' story is unending. But this is where John, in his gospel, brings things around to a satisfying conclusion in this chapter in Peter's life. When they had finished breakfast, this is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, speaking to him on the shore of the lake. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. And Peter did. And I think back to that night at the Last Supper when Peter said, I would die for you. (laughs) And the last thing he says here is, Peter, you're going to die for me. But it's a very different Peter. It's a Peter with a very different understanding of Jesus at this point. It's a Peter with a very different understanding of Jesus of what that death would mean and signify, the kind of death he'd want to die. This is a very different interaction than the one where Peter thought he was the one driving the whole scene. He's been brought along. His eyes have been opened by this point. He now sees his Lord, and he has mercifully come to see some things about himself with greater clarity. And that's my prayer for us as well, that as we continue through this latter half of the Gospel of John, that God would open our eyes to see and that he would transform us by it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am so filled with hope and encouragement after looking at the life of Peter. God, when uh, when you called him, when Jesus called him to himself, he called Peter knowing who he was. Jesus was not surprised by his repeated denial of him. Jesus wasn't surprised by the sins. God, we're so grateful that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. We're so grateful for Jesus that he cannot deny himself and that we are safe because of that. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that the the way that Jesus, even in the midst of Peter's Failings commissioned him to a work. God, that Peter, who is wildly imperfect, God, that Jesus, who is perfect, did perfect things through this incredibly imperfect man, Peter, and God, that gives us incredible hope and encouragement. Because God, as we stand here before you, we are all mindful of our imperfections, which is a very kind way of saying those things that we have done that are sinful, wrong, disobedient. Father, we have all failed you in many different ways. We have denied you at different times with our choices. Father, we are Peter, but you who are perfect are doing perfectly wonderful things through perfectly imperfect people like us, and God, that is a wonderful thought. So God, we ask you, Lord, to continue doing that work in our hearts and our minds. Help us to see Jesus more clearly. Help us to see ourselves. Help us to see others around us. And God, we pray that by degrees you would bring us along as you brought Peter and make us more and more like the God who saved us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.